Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Good morning. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Very good. It's sunburned, now that I'm fine. Sunburned? Hopefully you're out doing something fun. It's an occupational risk. Ah. Say again? You said hopefully you were out doing something fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. We spent the uh, weekend in the bush. Um, my um, my dad's birthday last Thursday. It's my kid and my wife's birthday on Thursday. So we uh, flew up to Joburg last week and um, drove out to to Safari Plains, which is one of our favourite uh, hotels or camps. So it's, it's a tented camp, and uh, yeah, we spent a couple of days there. Um, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Did you see any cool animals? Oh yeah, yeah. We had a um, so the and this does relate to what I want to talk about today, anyway. So, so I'll tell you <laughs> what we saw, and then I'll bring it back to what I wanted to talk about. Um, so we went out. We got there on Friday afternoon, and we went out and we saw some unusual things. Which there's, there's the usual things you will see if you go to a park. You'll see zebras, and you'll see um, impalas, and a lot of antelope. Um, which, I mean, these are probably be foreign to you, but for a South African or a person that goes to, to the bush a lot, you know, there's things you'll see all the time. Um, and then you see, then, and usually when you're going out, you're looking for the big five, uh, typically, which will be lion, rhino, buffalo, leopard, and... Elephant? Elephant. That's your big five. Uh, and they they named the big five because they're the big five that are dangerous to man. Um, in that, um, yeah, they would kill the most people for whatever reason. You then have the magnificent eight, um, which adds on three more, which would be cheetah, uh, wild dog, and um, hippo. So we didn't see elephant this trip, but I, you know I don't, I'm not fussed about not seeing not seeing elephant because you know you can go to a lot of parks and see elephant. Um, and and to be honest, elephants are are a very scary prospect um, if you catch them on the wrong day in the wrong place. Um, but anyway, so we saw um, on, on the Friday drive we saw was um, antelope antelope, and then we saw blackback jackal, which is quite unusual to see. They're very difficult to see because they're quite small. And then a leopard tortoise, which is also quite difficult to see because a leopard tortoise is probably the size of a shoebox. And, you know, to find that in the bushes is quite hard. Um, and my mom's a big birder, so we saw a lot of birds. Uh, we had a pretty good guide um, who's also a birder. Birders are weird people. Um, <laughs> they get very about birds. Um, and, look, there are some magnificent birds and, and whatever, but, you know, spending five minutes talking about a bird is, is um, not for everyone. Um, so that was good. And then, but we spent, you know, a good three and a half hours, four hours in the bush. Um, which kind of threw some of my uh, other stuff out, but it was it was good fun. And then 
Saturday morning, we spent an hour and a half looking for line, couldn't find them. Um, so that was a bit of a wash. Uh, we saw some other stuff, but but that was what we were looking for. So, and Saturday afternoon, we, we uh, tried again for line and couldn't find them. We saw some beautiful cheetah. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things, for those who've never been on safari, you can, you can drive around for hours and see nothing. And then all of a sudden, you can get the sniff of something. And we saw a cheetah like in the distance, like, you know, maximum range of the binoculars. Um, and they were just lying down. And that's often the case with cats that, are, that when you tend to see them during the day, they're just lying around in the shade because they're, not, they're nocturnal animals and they hunt during the night. But because we were there in the afternoon, it was quite cool. And bear in mind, we're talking, you know, the region of, of, of the country in is about 38 degrees centigrade, which is over 100 Fahrenheit. So it's pretty hot most of the mm-hmm. time. It was quite cool for that time of the afternoon. So we'd seen, someone else had seen the cheetah. So when we got there, they were still lying down. But when we got, uh, sort of 10 minutes after we got there, they got up and they started walking. Um, so we shot around to where they were, we thought they'd come out. And they came out literally in front of us and they walked across, you know, they were maybe five, five meters from us at that one point, and then closer at some point. Um, but what was, what was really cool about that part is they were walking towards a, a herd of wildebeest which is another common animal you'll mm-hmm. see in uh, in the parks. And um, they started stalking them, which I've never seen before. And that's quite a fascinating thing because you know, normally when you see them lying around, they just lie around. And when they stalk, you see them change their, their, their body language. Um, there was a, it was two brothers. So you could see who was the, uh, the alpha male. And as the alpha male did something, the, um, secondary male or whatever they would call him or beta male i guess would follow suit he would he would do and then the, obviously because they were game vehicles around i mean the animals are pretty used to the vehicles because they just see them as a big blob and then obviously the noise is, is they're used to the noise but we think the ranger ahead of us startled the wildebeest so they changed direction and we think by changing direction they smelt the cheetah so they changed their behavior and they started to to take a different route and it was quite interesting to see how the secondary cheetah made an automatic change to change his direction to try and flank them um and they went up the hill and we we kind of lost them and they and and we think they were that they probably would have chased them at some point to catch the because they were babies they probably catch one of the babies now the interesting thing about a cheetah is it can go north to 110 kilometers an hour in a few seconds um and that's how they they don't normally catch a lot of prey that way. I mean, that's very sensationalized in the documentaries, but they do use it as, as a mechanism to um, capture animals. But what they were doing was stalking, which was amazing to watch because you actually watch them channel and, and almost telepathically tell each other what they're doing because the one is flanking automatically, the other one is going straight. Um, so, they, so the ranger reckons they were probably about three or four years old, which means they've got some experience. Um, and it's all learnt experience. It was just a, you know, just like, a fascinating thing because not, there's no language involved like they're not talking to each other necessarily like you would learn something through someone teaching you but if you think about learning as a kid it's it's show listen and then do um it's the same sort of concept with it with an animal show first listen and then do um where the listen is a growl not necessarily words anyway so that was quite cool and then sunday morning we we finally found lion had to drive to the other end of the reserve uh, and we're not talking by South African standards, or, or whatever, a big reserve, 85,000 hectares, um, which is 
850 hectares, uh, which is about 8.5 million square meters. Um, so the size of a of a, a large suburb, um, mm. well, a really large suburb. But you know, it, you know, if if I compare that to Kruger, Kruger is the, which is our biggest park. That's the size of Wales. Um, wow, yeah, <laughs> that puts it in perspective. You could drive around for hours and see absolutely nothing. Um, so we tend to go to the parks where you can see stuff. So Boone is a good one. Pilensburg is another good one. But what I was so what I was going to get back to is. It was quite funny for me, you know, I, I got, we got there late afternoon. I had no real calls planned um, because it was, you know, it was a trip with my dad and, and all that stuff. But I was still able to do some work there because there was Wi-Fi all over the place. Uh, and even in the park, I had full full signal. And then normally when you're in the game reserve, you have no signal. But, you know, my wife and I were able to do work while we were on the way, because there's parts where you're just driving. Um you know, from one spot to another spot, or especially when they, they think they found something, because they're always, always on the radio. Um, but what I was thinking about while we were doing all this is that, you know, they get the, as much as they tag the animals and they, and they tag them for you know conservation reasons and protecting them from from anti poaching and, and that sort of, stuff, especially the rhinos, because you have those evil people that will hunt a rhino for their horn. I mean, the horn is just it's just the same material as your nail. There's no value to it. Mm-hmm. But but these morons that think that they get something out of at a rhino horn, um, you know, I, I can't say anything nice about them, but we'll, we'll leave it there. But you know, they, they have the the telemetry that they they're tracking with them, um, and and the rangers aren't allowed to use it. But I was thinking about it like the rangers could use the, the tracking on each other's vehicles so they could find each other. Because we drove around for hours trying to find another vehicle that had found the lion, and the communication wasn't clear on where they were because he obviously is trying to whisper without without. Um, uh, you know, um, not alerting the lions, but 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 um, bugging them because you're supposed to be as quiet as you can. Uh, and especially with like we had we have our kids with us, and, and technically you're not allowed to have the kids on the on the drive with these lions or any any cat because they'll they'll see them as an opportunity. Um, oh. But it was it was interesting because you know you, you we watched the lions do some stalking as well. So we, where we were there was a fence, someone's house in the middle of the park. And inside their fence is an eland, which is a very big antelope. And there was four lion lions. They're probably about a year old, so they're just bigger than cubs. Um, they're big still. I mean, you're probably talking a couple hundred kilos each. But they can't see the fence with their eyesight. So they can see the eland as an opportunity, but they can't see the fence. So they were stalking this eland, but they were using our vehicles as um, ways to, to block line of sight with Eland. And Eland could see them and he was making all sorts of noises, his normal alert calls to, mm-hmm. to let everyone else know that there's lions around. And they were trying to stalk him. And then every time we moved the reposition, they would use the sound of the, the engine to move faster to get into position. And then they would literally crawl, you know, through bushes and stuff to get closer to him. And then they realized that there was something blocking because he was he was way, you know, he realized that he was safe. So he was he was kind of making a deal. It was quite funny to watch because you got this this Eland and he's and he's sort of barking at them, and he's making all sorts of like like a horse would make a head movement, doing the same sort of stuff. Obviously, sort of goading these lions, and and the lions are in different positions stalking him, but they can't actually get to him because of the fence. So at one point they realized there was a fence, but for a long time they didn't realize that. So they were like seriously going to go for him, and we were like, this is be so funny. Awesome. <laughs> and we were waiting for them to have a strike at the fence. And 
to see what they would do they didn't obviously but but it was uh, it was quite uh, quite a thing and uh, you know what, what fascinates me about it is if you think about the like we had the cheetah and his brother so the, the alpha male and his brother we have these four cubs it's an automatic who's the, who's in charge who's leading and the the other um, part of the team just falling in with that guidance in that direction. I mean, and that's nature's way. And I was thinking about it, when, you know, while I was watching it. Like, it's such a, it, it's why it's so important when you have team dynamics to have a clarity on who's leading it. And and it was interesting because it there was a couple of things we discussed. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to regurgitate the entire four days of driving. I mean, well, four game drives over over two days, but. Yeah, the team dynamics was interesting, but also how they manage their energy and how they look for the best times of days to do things, how they how there's communication between these animals and not, and not just the, the the predators going for the prey, but even but the, the the prey and how they communicate with each other. So if you think about um, you're sitting there, you're staring at some lions in the background, you hear a bird chirping. Now, the first time you hear that, you just think it's a bird chirping. But if you start connecting the dots and you start listening to what the rangers are saying, they've realized over time, and obviously this has happened over you know lots of research and whatever, that these birds are all communicating as warning systems to the other animals. And when you look at herds of and wildebeest, because they're always together, they act as sentries for each other, and they're complementary to each other. So you know it's this diversity that kind of works different breed you know different species of animals that all work together to keep each other safe and also coexist with, with within nature to create this ecosystem and it kind of made me think about all these things if you if you look at the the technologies we work with and and live with how when they all work together and complement each other you end up with quite a good experience and, and and it all works together when when they don't work together you end up with this disjointed experience and that works but it doesn't work, and that, that causes a lot of frustration and a lot of a lot of angst for for the people involved. It reminds me of an article that came out recently in the New York, in the New York Times about the digital workplace. But I think there's something to you know talking about this this ecosystem. You know, all of the ways that animals have learned from each other. You know, so many years of evolution to get them to that point. Um, and then, you know, you get the silly examples of like when man-made things come into the mix, like fences that aren't part of their um, uh, nature. So they kind of pose, you know, they can create funny situations. But in the digital workplace, most of the tools that we've been using have been around maybe for a few decades um, at most. So we don't have that sort of inherent second nature experience with a lot of these things yet. And there's still uh, the awkwardness, I think, in part for that reason is we don't necessarily know, you know, what's the best way to uh, (laughs) signal to my colleague that, you know, X needs to happen or I'm trying to relate it back to the the animal metaphors. But yeah, I mean, you get what I mean? It's like, um, it's not quite as natural, I suppose. Uh, It's very... You know, we're still trying to figure out how to make working with technology more ingrained and, and seamless and effective for us. Yeah, well, and, and yeah, I mean, that leads me to another part of this. That the, the best part of this trip, in some respects, is 
I mean, we had we had a we're quite lucky in the sense that when we got there, the the other, so what they do is they um, because it's quite a small hotel, um, and normally depending on the number of people, they group them together onto vehicles. So you always have the same ranger every day, for every ride. And what was lucky for us the first couple of days, because my dad's quite ill, so we we wanted to have a little bit of, of freedom, is we were the only ones on the on on our vehicle, so we could pretty much go anywhere we wanted, um, and leave and you know and, and go at our speed and that kind of thing. And and then the one thing about Mabula where we were is they don't allow people to drive their own vehicles in the park, so you can only go in with a ranger, um, which means the rangers will take you a little bit further they would go than you get in most other parks so for, for in other parks you have to stay on the road whereas we a couple of times you know we just would drive straight over a patch of of land it was flat uh, or didn't have um you know it was possible because he'd seen something and he wanted to go and check it so you get that like a little bit extra of um of adventure i guess in, in going in there now when we had um the other guys with us you know, now you've got to be a little bit more conscious of what they want to see and all that kind of stuff. And they were great people. I mean, they really were great guys to, to ride with. But we were actually talking, we went for a bush bride uh, on the Saturday night, which which literally means they drove us out in the middle of the bush where they'd set up fires and uh, the food and all that kind of stuff, a little bit of local entertainment. Um, and you're basically eating surrounded by the bush. So, uh, and the only protection you have is, is the fire as a distraction for the animals. So you could have an elephant run through you um, at any time, so you know, it creates a little bit of um, you know connection with nature, I guess, in some respects. But we were funny enough having a chat about the Zoom and Teams and, and how it impacted them, and and they were explaining, um, you know, these are these are quite uh, senior people, um, how culturally they had to change. And and, and bear in mind, this is also, um, you know, we always think about it from a Westernized Westernized world point of view. But you mm. you know, unless you've been exposed to the African culture. Uh, you're not going to get that African culture is different. Um, and we were talking about things like, you know, in in in, in the tribal views on some of the stuff, you know, being on camera is equivalent to stealing your soul. Um, and even though you've got a very sophisticated person, I mean, you know, the one lady, you know, she studied Harvard, she studied MIT, you know, she's got some serious credentials. Um, but she had to get her grandmother to use Zoom to talk to her. And her grandmother refused because she said the camera's going to steal her soul. And it took her about six weeks to get her to use it. And she was telling me how she had to convince her um, of, of, you know, the technology is safe and it's not going to do this stuff. Uh, and I was, you know, I hadn't even thought about it, you know, from from what we've been exposed to. And, and that, you know, it's a, it is a different world completely. Yeah. But she she won her over within six weeks. That doesn't sound too bad. It's well. It was very much a case of, um, well, this is the only way we can talk. So, mm-hmm. you know, she started off firstly with cameras off, a couple times. Uh, then she did a couple calls where her camera was on, but her grand's camera was off. And then after a while, you know, she just said, "You got, you know, turn the camera on. And let's see how we go," kind of thing. And you know, I'm still here. My soul's not gone. You know, just just kind of, you know, slowly letting her get acclimatized to the different stages. You know, something we take for granted. Yeah, you know, if you if you said someone I'm going to take, I mean, I was talking to someone this morning about catching up, and I said, well, I'm not actually in in uh, thing at the moment, but let's just do a call on Teams. He's like, oh yeah, we can do that. That's fine. You know, a couple of years ago, people would have gone, well, if, if you're not in town, wait, let me know when you're in town. Um, so there's, you know, for some people, that shift is very easy. Just use the technology as a 
as a bridge to to not delay things. Um, but for some people, that is still a big, you know, I listen to a lot of the older people around me um, and they moan about getting on a Teams call because it feels so complicated. Um, and look, Teams doesn't help anybody with that because Teams is a very complicated interface. But, you know, they, they feel like it's a big thing to get onto a Teams call. Um, whereas for, for people coming through, you know, generationally now, jumping on a WhatsApp call or a Telegram call or a Teams call or a Zoom call or whatever, 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 is as normal as sending a text message 20 years ago. Um, unfortunately, I do need to run, but sure. this has been really cool hearing about your trip. And yeah. Thanks very much. Talk later. See ya. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.